If I just look at the cast, it's like problematic the show. <laughs> Welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies, shows, and music from two people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region, no guarantees implied. Aaron Dicer and Jeremy Scott. Miss Patty assigned you a role, by the way. You just never showed up to claim it. What role? The Tempest. There is no role of the Tempest. It is the titular role. No, it's a made-up thing, so we all can participate. You can't do anything unless you're the center of attention. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Recotopia, episode 80. I'm Jeremy Scott. And I'm Aaron Dicer. There I, almost he is. For, I almost forgot who I was there for a That's second. That's all right. Say hello, uh, everybody in the chat. Uh, good to see you. Lots of familiar faces in there. Uh, looking forward to seeing your opinions. Uh, serious and snarky. Today's big recommend is Lady Bird, a movie I'm excited to dive into. But as is usual, uh, we're going to start with some small recommends. Aaron, do you have any small recommends this week? It's no big deal. It's so small and light. It's small, it's tiny, it's petite, it's wee. Oh boy, do I ever. You sound excited. Um, <laughs> I uh, wanted to small recommend uh, a couple things that I've been watching. Uh, number one is Solar Opposites. Let's start there. Solar Opposites Season 4 has released. Uh, this is a show on Hulu, and uh, it is a it is done by one of the guys uh, from Rick and Morty, uh, the one who Hulu cut ties with for various reasons. Interesting. And so it's interesting coming into season four because, uh, by the way, I think it's Justin Roiland is is uh, his name. Um, he did all the voices, not all the voices, but you know uh, the main voice and a couple others. And in the very first cold open of the very first episode, they address this in one of the boldest, most self-referential, uh, weirdest ways I've ever seen. They, they recast the voice, not with somebody who sounds anything like him, but with Dan Stevens doing a full British accent uh, and completely different than the tone of the character before. Um, they accidentally shoot the character right away in the throat with some sort of dart and they get like a voice, um, a, a voice retrieval ray or something and then shoot his throat with the voice retrieval ray and he sounds nothing like it. But his partner, his alien partner says, actually, this is working for me. Let's leave it. Uh, and then so he now has that voice. And then in the uh, cold open, which is a fourth or not the cold open, the um, the credits. There's a fourth wall breaking thing where this character uh, talks to the audience or whatever. And they give like some sort of sci-fi reason in this conversation for why his voice will even sound like that in the flashbacks. Uh, anyways, like it's it's hilarious. Uh, the show is really funny, really meta. If you so like Rick and Morty. So guy isn't working on the show anymore? Not at all. They completely cut ties with him. But yeah. they're still working with Thomas Middleditch? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Didn't he have his own? <laughs> well, Jeremy, I guess it comes down to like you know uh, whether or not charges are filed. I don't know. I don't know. You'd have to ask them. I'm not. I'm not in charge of who they cut ties with and who who they don't. Uh, but you don't yes. even want to speculate. 
<laughs> Tiffany Haddish is on here too. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yes, she's yes. had her own like this. The cast. If I just look at the cast, it's like problematic. The show, but. Um, <laughs> It does sound fascinating the way that they've decided to address it uh, and uh, certainly bold, like you said, and unlike anything I've ever seen. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. All right. This is this is also I just had another one of those moments that I'm having more and more of where I just find out something exists that's been around for like four years. My wife has been <laughs> my wife was on Hulu yesterday just watching trailers for movies she hadn't seen. And I was seeing movie stars and I'd never heard of most of these movies. Mm. Um like there's one with uh, uh, Kevin Hart, um, like an adventure comedy with him and somebody else. I forget who it is, and I was I, I've never even heard of this. I don't even, didn't even know this existed. Amazing. That's why we do this show. So indeed, uh, Solar Opposites on who? Yes. My first small recommend uh, is a movie from 2010 that I somehow saw in the theater. I was one of 15 people across the nation. Uh, it's called The American, uh, and it stars George Clooney. Um, and that's basically the only face you're going to rec- recognize. And uh, this is just a really interesting movie. It, I've seen it twice now. Well, maybe maybe three times. I saw it in the theater with my father-in-law, and then I saw it again like four or five days ago. Um, and it's just, it presents as a James Bond-esque espionage thing in a small town in Italy. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot more thinky than that. Have you seen this film, Aaron? I have, but probably just... Uh, 13 years ago and never again. I okay. remember very little about it, so you're going to have yeah, to help me it's, out. Uh, it's just, it's a lot slower and thinkier than that. This is a guy who doesn't want to be in this business anymore and takes a job to make a gun for an assassin to do a special kill as his last job. Um, and he starts a relationship with a girl in the, uh, who's uh, a sex worker, uh, but they both fall in love with each other. And uh, he meets a few times with the assassin woman he's making the gun for, and somebody may or may not be following him, trying to kill him. That's really all I want to <laughs> say. Um, but if you go in not expecting James Bond action, and expect because it's even look at the poster, he's running. It, it screams action, and it's just it's not that. There's a little bit of action, but it's a it's a think piece, uh, and I quite enjoyed it. So there you go. I think right now it's on. Hang on, I pulled it up just for this moment so I could crash and burn stars. Um, so if you have stars or uh, stars streaming or any of the streaming packages that are premium that come with stars, you can watch The American. I remember thinking. It, it was good. Somebody in the chat will probably uh, look it up on my letterbox or something. Um, but I, I remember thinking it was decent and I had a fun time. But it didn't stick with me in a way where I remember going, oh, that was amazing. That was awesome. You know, can't wait to watch it again. Uh, that kind of thing. So I will so, yeah. say, uh, don't watch this with your father-in-law because there's some really awkward extended uh, moaning sex scenes. That, um <laughs> Made that experience a little bit weird. Extended moaning sex scenes. Very, very (laughs) nice. Uh, My second small recommend is a very recent film that just came out. Blue Beetle uh, just came out. DC's latest. um, And I don't envy James Gunn uh, and his partner as they work to figure out what the DCEU is because... They, you know, say, oh, Flash is going to be amazing. And then everybody's like, "Uh, what? 
And then they're like basically radio silent on Blue Beetle, and everybody's like, "This movie's kind of great." Yeah. <laughs> it's like what? Like, so I think they've come out since then and said they may integrate this character into their new, uh, you know, DC universe because it's being so well accepted. Uh, also, because the uh, movie itself is. Um, uh, very representational for the Latinx community, and so there's a there's a real uh, great number of reasons why this this movie is working as well as it does. I actually don't think I like it as much as a lot of people. There are a lot of people who really love this movie, You're having a really good time with it. I had a lot of fun with it. I think the tone gets a little wacky in the third act and kind of undoes some of the authenticity that it's been building in this family but this is a really fun family to watch together um the lead actor zolo uh is also in uh cobra kai and he's amazing in that and he's really good here watching him here i'm just like uh you kind of have those moments every once in a while where you're like oh that's a movie star like that's somebody who can carry the screen has the charisma and I think Zolo has that um, in the entire cast around him. The entire family is just such a really fun dynamic. So hmm. um, it gets a little punchy, punchy at the end. You know, I am so sick of super punches. If I never see another super punch in my life again, I'll be happy. I just, I don't. Hey, I don't just, watch uh, Captain America Civil War anytime soon. <laughs> I wasn't sick of it then. Now I'm very, very sick of it. Uh, yeah, I but I imagine it, if I went back and watched that, I'd feel that way as well. Um, the whole but, last, yeah. the whole big, huge fight between the, the three man, the three way fight is all super punchy, super punchy, super punchy, super punchy. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. God, I hate that movie. I, I, I'm so I am very much done with super punches. But aside from that, there's a lot of fun to be had with Blue Beetle, so I wanted to give it a, a um, recommend. So I mean to be clear, the Flash and Blue Beetle were both either done or almost done with uh, initial production when Gunn was announced as the head of D. He didn't really have Correct. I believe he influenced some of the stuff at the end of the Flash, um, from what I've read. Uh, but I don't believe he influenced much of what this movie became. So my question to you is this. Do we really believe WB, under the directorship of this Zaslav guy, is going to give James Gunn and partner 10 years to see if they can duplicate what Marvel has done? Or are they going to mm. get impatient fast? I mean, if history tells us anything, they're going to get impatient fast. Yeah. Uh, so that that would be my guess. I think a lot will hinge on Gunn's Superman movie, which of he's course. writing and directing. And if that's a home run, he's going to get a lot of rope. But yeah. if that's a miss, I don't know. I don't I mean, I know they have a 10-year plan, but I would doubt that he has a 10-year contract. Um, so I'll be curious to see. I mean, the studio has a history of, we're going to go this way. Didn't yeah. Five steps in. Oh, we went the wrong way. Let's go mm -hmm. another direction. So, yep. All yeah, right. Well, I'm totally. looking forward to Blue Beetle. The trailer was really fun. Um, and I hear that there's a strong family dynamic element to it. Um, and It's the uh, best part so, of the movie. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, my second small recommend is a movie that came on a couple days ago that I hadn't seen in forever, that we did briefly discuss it on a, on a previous Recotopia. And that is 1993's The Thing Called Love. This cast. Now, River Phoenix was a pretty big deal at this point. But the rest of the cast was not at the peak of their prime. It's got Sandra Bullock, pre-speed, um, Samantha Mathis, and Dermot Mulroney uh, are your main cast. It's about singer-songwriters in Nashville trying to make it. Um, there is, I will freely admit, there is a lot of Nashville in this movie mm -hmm. that 
might boost my affection for it. Um, although they, as Jonathan was saying, they get the geography completely wrong. When I was watching it, I messaged Jonathan privately and I said, holy shit, she just walked from Green Hills to Elm Hill Pike. And he was like, I know. Um, and uh, so maybe that adds to the fun. That's I don't amazing. Know. But it's um, just like that's only only the locals know. You know what I mean? That's just yeah. like I mean, like, even if you're if you're in New York City, you have to get that stuff even a little more right because even tourists kind of know that right. stuff a little bit. But if you're dealing with Nashville, nobody's gonna know that except for the locals. That's why when we did that Percy Jackson video, we were like, Oh, you're going to the Parthenon, you just went the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, and I'll also admit uh, the thing called Love is a 57 on Rotten Tomatoes, 6.4 on IMDb. So not everybody digs it, but I think the biggest connection for me is that I was for a time, you know, aspiring to be some sort of singer songwriter. I was in a band. We tried to make it. We were in Nashville. Uh, I've written a bunch of songs. Um, and so River Phoenix is playing a guy who's who's kind of right on the cusp. He sold some songs. Um, <clears throat> Samantha Mathis just got to town. Um, Sandra Bullock is been here for a while, but she's a little too uh, sweet for this industry. And then Dermot Mulroney is just kind of always takes a backseat to River Phoenix. Everybody falls in love with everybody. Uh, messy love squares. That sounded weird. <laughs> this movie's on uh, Showtime, if you would like to watch it, or Showtime is attached to a streamer that you have. There you go. The Thing Called Love on Showtime, about singer-songwriters. It's one of River Phoenix's final performances, so that alone might be worth checking out. There you go. I have not seen it, but knowing that Sandra Bullock is in it, uh, I might get it on my list. Is it um, Sandra or Sandra? You know, those who know her best call her Sandra. Um, you know, the rest of you can call her Sandra, but she and once? I, yeah. yeah, yeah, we met once and I was like, can I call you Sandra? And she was like, can you go back to your table? And yeah, that's, yeah. that's kind of how that like, went. It's like, there's a whole wave recently of celebrities telling us you've been pronouncing my name wrong for my whole life. Like, yeah, um, yeah. Alice, Alicia Silverstone mm -hmm. is more like Alicia Silverstone. Mm -hmm. And um, even uh, Lindsay Lohan is more Lindsay Lohan. Mm -hmm. uh, and they just don't. I knew that hockey players from other countries would do that and just tolerate bad pronunciations of their name for sure, their sure. career. But I didn't know that like actresses would do. You would think. Especially somebody who's famous as a kid getting spoiled would be like, you're saying my name wrong. But no, I'm just going to go my whole career letting you call me Lohan, and then I'm going to drop the bomb. Yeah, no, it's Sandra Bullock. Uh, I just I just like calling her Sandra. Um, so I'm pretty sure either one, you can get away with either one as long as you yeah, don't call her Adele so. Um <laughs> That's probably right. All right, the big recommend this week is Lady Bird. I'm fine, I'm fine. It's just that you're so... Big. It's so huge. It's a good rule, but this is bigger than rules. It's bigger on the inside. Is it? I noticed. All right, Aaron, take us away. Lady Bird is uh, a Greta Gerwig film. In fact, I do believe it's her first solo directed uh, feature. So this is the first, uh, the first moment that she had to go. This is what a movie made by me looks like. In fact, I think Noah Baumbach, who their relationship is, you know, well known between Greta and Noah, and kind of the ups and downs of that relationship. I'm not like the Hollywood gossip guy, so I don't necessarily know all the ins and outs. But I know they've had a very cool creative partnership through the years, no matter what's going on, uh, kind of behind the scenes. But I think he actually uh, asked to direct this uh, when he saw the script, and she took some time and came back to him a couple weeks later and was like, no, this this one's mine. 
I'm, I'm going to do this one. And I can see why. This is very much uh, her kind of getting into her own coming-of-age story yeah, through Lady Bird. A lot of it's um, like loosely autobiographical, at least mm-hmm, specifically yes. all the Sacramento stuff. She grew up in Sacramento. So. Correct. So we start with a opening shot of her and her mom facing each other, sleeping on a bed. Uh, they are... Currently on a car ride, checking out a college or something like that. She's heading into her senior year, so they're thinking about these things. This whole movie takes place over her, uh, Lady Bird's senior year, basically. We're following what happens during her mm-hmm. senior year through graduation and on to college uh, for the first moments. Um, I love how right away, I think this has one of the best cold opens of any uh, movie in movie history. Because we not only get a great moment at the end where she dives out of the car... But we also get this beautiful thing that happens in the car where they're communing together, listening to the end of Steinbeck's Grapes of Wrath. And they're just like, (laughs) oh, this is so beautiful. And then she she goes to start something on the radio and her mom's like, no, no, let's just let's just sit in it for a little bit. But of course, that silence very quickly turns into mother daughter animosity, which elevates and elevates until uh, Lady Bird dives out of a moving vehicle. Cut to a cast that says, F you, Mom, uh, written (laughs) on it. Uh, And she is now a senior in high school. We basically move through her senior year as a coming, like a typical coming-of-age story that is not so typical at all because it's got a very modern feel to it. We're definitely seeing it from a unique perspective that I don't know we've really seen before. Um, it's clear early on that she wants to go to a New York school, but her mom is not having it. She wants her more local. She wants her somewhere more attainable. Um, and we see throughout this kind of the animosity that they build between each other as her mom does is the way her mom shows love to her is by criticizing her and by wanting better for her. And it's, it's a very painful thing to, uh, to watch them try to relate to each other. inside a little bit that you call that the way she shows love, but we'll just move on. It, it is, it, it is, it is genuine. I think this is what the movie is saying in many ways is that it is hard for parents sometimes to understand how to love their children. And th- they, mis- well, yes, but I, I think the movie is saying there is real love there and they both yes. recognize it, but I don't think yes. criticizing, I don't think the mom thinks I'm loving her by doing this. I think it's in the mom's nature. I think it's dude. This is going to be fascinating discussion. Carry on. <laughs> um, on. So, uh, so yes. Anyhow, she continues through her uh, senior year. We see uh, you know things about uh, her courting, uh, getting into theater, courting a young man, uh, them courting each other uh, through the theater program. This is Danny. This is kind of her first love. From the moment he uh, sings into the woods uh there are giants in the sky she just has eyes for no other and she you know pursues that relationship with him um they have this moment where they all uh, her and her best friend julie who i should mention beanie feldstein uh plays uh, julie in this movie as kind of her best friend that they're growing up together they all smoke pot at one point and uh go to a concert together where she spots another young man that she kind of uh, crushes on a little bit uh, this is of course timothy chalamet playing kyle who is in the band um, they go through, you know, this, this time of doing the play, there's these amazing things that all theater kids will relate to and empathize with, with fun theater games, fun in quotes, maybe. <laughs> uh, and, uh, just, if you've ever been a theater kid, 
like this movie will hit you in some places uh, for sure. Uh, so they go through that. They go through the first production of the year, the first semester production. They get to the end. Uh, the line to the women's bathroom is too long. So she's like, you know what line isn't long? The line to the guy's bathroom. Let's go use the guy's bathroom. Open the guy's bathroom door. This guy that she's been uh, dating, quote unquote, uh, is now kissing another guy from the play. She realizes that he is gay. And that, of course, is devastating to her. We follow her devastation through that. And that kind of leads to part two, which is uh, which is really interestingly transitioned by the taking off of the cast, which I, I think is a nice little demarcation for kind of, we kind of head into the second part of her senior year, the second semester, where she's like, you know what? What if I were a bad girl? What if I hung out with the kids who skip school and smoke cigarettes and you know, didn't care and, you know, said F the teachers and all those kind of things and did pranks. By the way, I'm really jealous that she was able to get that out of her system in roughly three or four months. So. <laughs> yeah. Go on. <laughs> yes. Um, so she has that second semester. She ditches theater. She doesn't even show up to, to see what her part is. Um, she's cutting class. Uh, she's, she's going from a parking lot to hang out in another parking lot. <laughs> and then... We kind of hit a a segment where the she starts to question her ability to or her desire to be this kind of person. And so, for instance, um, I think it kind of starts where Danny comes to her or they run into each other and they have what I think is maybe the most beautiful scene in the movie where heartbreaking. he heartbreaking. He just he's you know, he's closeted. He doesn't want her to tell anybody. And she just holds him while he sobs. And I think we're starting to see the uh, the arrogance, the 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 shield of youth start to break in her a little bit as she starts to uh, have empathy for other human beings and, and understand kind of what's going on in their lives. Um, we have the tell me the number scene, which I think is another powerful scene where she basically tells her mom, just tell me the number that I've cost you that it costs to raise a child so that I can save it up, pay you and never have to talk to you ever again. Um, and what does mom save back terrible things. I forget what the exact quote is. Do you have it? She, she says, I don't think you'd be able to get a job good enough to earn that much. Money. Yeah. Yes, that is it. That is it. Yeah. And that encapsulates kind of the, the relationship that they have. Um, so we see a very awkward first sex scene, uh, with her and Timothy Chalamet, very, very awkward. Um, but I felt like very authentic, very realistic, um, in, in many ways. I, I don't have ways? that experience. It's not my own experience. You so. haven't had sex? No, not once. Oh my uh, God. no, I think my, my first time was awkward enough, but it was like, you know, the night of my wedding. So like, you know what I mean? Like it's, you know, you've got a life with this person to figure it out. So it wasn't like, you know, one of those. Wait, you're not like, you know, we knew everything about, well, not everything about each other, but we knew each other fairly well by that point. <laughs> so, yeah, so we get through the awkward sex scene and she uh, she finally has a moment is they're heading to prom and the rest of her new bad boy, bad girl crew is like, we don't want to go to prom. We'd rather go to Mike's house and hang out or whatever. And she says, yeah, that's cool. Knowing inside that she really does want to go to prom. She's wanted to do this. She's been looking forward to this. Uh, and then Dave Matthews band crash comes on and they're like, this song's terrible. And she's like, actually, I love this song and I do want to go to prom. And in that moment, she's like, oh, I need to be who I am and not this version of me that I'm trying to, to figure out. So she goes 
to meet up with Julie. Julie's at home, not having a great time. Uh, they have some fun together and are like, hey, let's go to prom. So they they head out to prom, do that thing, and kind of finish their their senior year. The movie ends with her trip to college. She has indeed gotten into a New York school as she wanted to, and her mom does not know that, but finds out when actually Danny comes over and accidentally says, hey, did you ever hear about the wait list? Uh, and so they have that conversation. And her dad breathes. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Tracy Letts in this movie, man. He's so good. He's so, he's so good. Uh, so the movie ends as she calls home uh, after f- having a terrible party experience and then stepping into mass for a few moments. She calls home, just says, I wanted to tell you I love you. Thank you. And she inhales, and the movie ends. Uh, Another purposeful choice by Greta, who said she did not want the exhale to be in the movie because the exhale begins another story, and she's not telling that story. Mm. Um, So, Mm. so yeah, it's that is the conclusion that Greta saw to this story of a daughter and a mother trying to figure out what it means to be a daughter and a mother and to love each other, um, and what it means to grow up. And what it means to to find your way there. So that is Ladybird. Jeremy, what did you think this time through Ladybird? This is my third time seeing Ladybird. It's fantastic. Um, kind of a miracle. The way I, you described it, I think, is right. That it kind of has a modern feel, but also kind of a classic feel. The plot is not straightforward. It's really more vignette which makes, I think, it feel more like memory um, or actually experiencing moments of her life helping us know who she is rather than here's the conflict and here's how it's going to resolve. The performances are great. I think Laurie Metcalf absolutely steals the movie. And I have a lot of things to say about that character, but her performance is incredible. Tracy Letts is great. Obviously, Saoirse Ronan, Saoirse Ronan, I'm going to butcher that name for all of time. Uh, I, to, the, fir- the first time I ever tried to say that name was in front of Saoirse Ronan, and it was why, one of the why most... Why would you do that? Why, because I'm an idiot, Jeremy. I'm a complete idiot. Uh, and I was just like, hey, so, so Arise. Oh, uh, no. Loved you. <laughs> loved oh, you in no. Lady Bird. She's going to she come out. So kind. She was like, she was like it's, it's Saoirse Ronan. <laughs> I was like, yes, Saoirse, thank you. I wondered about that. Anyways. She's going to come out like 20 years and say, actually, you pronounce my name Cecile <laughs> or whatever. Actually, she's going to be, actually, it's, it's Soa Reese, and only one guy ever got that right. Uh, <laughs> um, I can relate to this character uh, a lot, least in that last year of high school wanting to go to a college my parents didn't want me to go to. This, there was this kid that I really looked up to and admired who had gone to this college in Pennsylvania. And I got it in my head sometime in my senior year, I'm not going to go where my brother went uh, mm-hmm. to that Nazarene school. I want to go to this school in Pennsylvania. And my, I exasperated my poor family because I just didn't understand anything about... Listen, I paid through the nose for my college education. I did not mm-hmm. go to a cheap school, but we got discounts because my father was a pastor in the denomination of the school and Mm -hmm. because my brother had gone there. Um, And we weren't going to get those discounts at the school in Pennsylvania, which was equally expensive. Um, And I eventually... And out of state, right? So it's not like it's an in-state school where it's a little cheaper for you, yeah. So I eventually, similarly to Lady Bird, you know, toward the end of my senior year, went, I don't... That's not me. That's him. I can still admire him. I need to go on my own journey and take my own path. So I've, 
I can relate to this. Uh, I think this movie has a lot to say about mental health, uh, very overtly with regard to the dad, and then almost discreetly with regard to the priest who is the original drama teacher, um, who to the kids is just not there anymore when they come back for the next play. And humorously, we get the football coach or the basketball coach uh, leading the, the second play. Uh, but then we do get a small scene with that priest talking to Laurie Metcalf. And, and mm -hmm. essentially, basically, we find out that he's suffering from depression, which is what Tracy Letts, the dad character, is suffering from. And so when I look at the mother, I think... I should clarify, everybody knows this, but I don't, I'm not a parent, so you may have a, a really different perspective here. And, and I do believe she believes she's actively loving mm -hmm. her daughter. But she's abusive. Mm -hmm. She is. And it's even pointed out, it's like a throwaway joke to her, but she says, well, my mother was an abusive alcoholic, and she shuts the door. And I'm like, duh! That's why you are the way you are. You inherited that. You and now mm -hmm. you're passing it on. And I do. I do believe the movie suggests Lady Bird has a shot to break that passing down of the trauma. Well, and I. I think the movie's intent in, in for the character in that moment is that you're lucky. It's just words that I use against you. Like, like you get the sense that it was more than just being yes. negative or like you get the sense that there was physical abuse or other kinds of abuse, not just verbal abuse. But I mean, um, this is like Tony Soprano's mom level of abusive manipulation. She's mm -hmm. like, you shouldn't have had that second bowl of pasta. And she's mm -hmm. like, why are you saying that? She's like, I'm just telling you the truth. Do you want me to lie? As mm -hmm. though she has to speak every truth that exists. Right. And it's an abusive tactic that, that some people use in relationships. Um, mm -hmm. And some people use in uh, parental relationships. So I, as the movie plays, I grow more and more upset at her. And I, mm -hmm. I, I wish the movie could have given us Lady Bird's resolution without giving the mom some kind of ninth inning redemption. Uh, you, I, you think the mom gets redemption? Only because the dad saves the letters and sends them to Lady Bird. Right. Yes. So, but mom so, didn't send those letters. Correct. And the movie's aware of that. And I think the movie expects the audience to be aware of that as well. Uh, I actually had in my notes that I, I I like this movie because it doesn't resolve the the mom ladybird thing in the I'll way tell you that what, most movies would. When the plane takes would. off and we get that extended fifteen second shot out the window of the plane rising, I thought that was the end. I think that's mm -hmm. a fitting place to end it if you're not going to resolve things. But I do appreciate what they do with Ladybird's resolution. Um, yeah, maybe the movie is not redeeming her as much as I feel like it is. But I feel like the movie's saying. That's all going to be all right. I think the movie's saying we choose we choose to love through abuse sometimes. I think the movie is saying that Lady Bird is finding a way to make peace uh, with, you know, what her mom has done to her. I don't think the movie is ever saying um, the mom's actions have been redeemed uh, or that, you know, what she's done is a no, good No, but thing. I feel like the, the last beat for her is we know she truly loves Lady Bird and now Lady Bird knows it too. And maybe that's the point. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, I love the movie a lot. I have a lot of uh, little notes and quotes that I want to uh, mention that I enjoy. Well, I, I really, I really like 
that we're finding a little friction on the mom character. Because one of the things that I, I like about this movie is that it finds empathy for this terrible parent. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say terrible person. I would go so far as to say terrible parent. And I know the distinction there can be she's a little bit She's shown to be very weird. good and loving at her job. Right, right. So I don't think she's a terrible person. I think she's a really bad mother. Um, right. And you mentioned there are reasons for that. And, I, you know, I don't know that the 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 line about, um, you know, being an abusive or, uh, you know, my mom was an abusive alcoholic or whatever. I think that's in there purposefully so we understand the cycle of abuse and how the cycle of abuse works and yeah. how we try to break those circles and how, you know. absolving the mom no. for having a part in the dad's depression. Right. By virtue of how she parents. Um, <laughs> yeah. I yeah. also wish the movie would give us just a tiny bit more Miguel, um, just because he doesn't seem to have that friction with either of his parents. Um, and I, I'm curious what the reason is. Um, and maybe it's because he's he's older and he's like, you know, considered an adult now. I, I think know. there's I think there's sexism involved. I think there's mm. you know there's more she grace. She sees herself for in Lady Bird, but doesn't see herself in Miguel. Correct. Yeah. So she's punishing yeah. Lady Bird to punish herself. Mm hmm. That's yeah, how, how uh, there's there's there is an incredible I think personally, there's an incredible amount of empathy for the mother without saying she is right in doing these things. There's the movie never in any way, in my opinion, indicates that her the choices she's making, the words, that the hurtful things that she's saying um, are the right way to go about things. I do think the movie is trying to find empathy for someone who is trying to figure out what it be means to be a mom when the only example you've had is a terrible mom. You know, like there's, there's, I think there's empathy that if we were to get more deep about it, that Greta Gerwig is probably trying to find for her own mother and for her own situation. Uh, that's what I think gives me pause is that because it's so autobiographical, I, f I think it gives maybe a little more empathy to the mom than, than mm -hmm. I would. Um, but I don't know. I mean, everybody's do you think, do you think, how do you feel about the dad's choices in this movie? How, what do you think the movie is saying about the Tracy Letts character? Clearly when he's with Lady Bird, we see him to be a loving, caring, you know, open human being. But do you think the movie chastises that character for his not standing up against the mom's verbal abuse? Anytime it happens, he exits the situation. Um, you, you know, is have to believe that that is a learned behavior from years mm -hmm. of previous experiences, right? So, right. he is the passive parent, but I also think that is part of the nature of depression. Uh, mm -hmm. There's it's that scene I think where she's telling her where she ends up telling her to add up how much money. Maybe it's not right, but he's playing solitaire mm -hmm. while they're yelling behind him. Because yep. that's what depression will make you do. Just check right. the F out. Uh, but I, I think he is shown to be a very loving father to both of them. Like, mm -hmm. he very nobly toasts his son getting a job that he desperately wanted himself. Like, mm -hmm. I just think that he's he's shown to be a good father when he's given the space to be. But he's not always given the space to be. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I think... I, I, I to use an Aaron, I think there's empathy in this movie for almost every character, um, mm -hmm. almost every one. Um, even the even the rich girl temporary friend, I think there's empathy for her. Um, mm -hmm. 
but uh, it's just it's life. I think that's one of the reasons I like the movie. It's messy. Uh, yeah, I think the only uh, unless I'm unless I'm forgetting something, the the only character that I was just like, oh, that's fairly two dimensional, was the Chalamet character, um, which I don't think that character is given much more than just obliviousness and. Hey, know. I want to ask you a question. Yeah, he did tell her he was a virgin. Right? You know, I've seen this movie several times, and I always forget to parse that. Um, she says, I don't, I, I, I went back. She says, I don't want to have sex. And he says, yeah, okay, or something like that. He does mm -hmm. an agreement. And she says, I'm, I'm a virgin. And he's like, uh, yeah, me too, or something like that. Like, I think he very, whether he realizes it in the heat of the moment or he misunderstood, I think that's debatable. Uh, I'm not saying he outright lied to her, but I right. felt like he did, like she was right. To suspect that they had just taken each other's flower because that's what I thought based on that dialogue. She yeah. says, "Okay, the cast, the chat is telling me." She says, "I haven't had sex," and he says, "I haven't had sex either." Well, that's that's pretty cut and dry. Then, that's if that's cut what and he dry says then, in yeah. the, in the, the and, and not, maybe he's the one we have the least empathy for. But yeah, all he is is loves to read, smokes, and says mm -hmm. that's hella tight, um, <laughs> and it's a fun performance. Exactly. Um, but yes. Um, I appreciated the, in the beginning when we cut from her jumping out of the car to school, the juxtaposition of the Catholic incantations, the Pledge of Allegiance, and the school lessons. And I felt like, I don't know, I felt like that was a great montage to sort of explain to you the various authorities she's under at this school that she's constantly reminded she has to go to because her brother saw somebody knifed outside of the public school. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I love the dance where the nun says, six inches for the Holy Spirit, please, because I have been to dances like that. Um, I love the line, it's my job to help you be realistic. <laughs> she says, yeah, it seems like everyone's job. Um, I love when the girls cry sing in the early scene to Crash mm -hmm. Into Me by Dave Matthews Band yep. because it's both... I think a real moment, but also hilarious. And it also mm -hmm. sort of plants that seed for later when we hear the song again. Dad brings her a cupcake and knocks on the door and she says, come in, Dad. And he says, how did you know it was me? And she says, Mom doesn't knock. Um, <laughs> which is just one of the subtlest ways we learn about how overbearing this mom can be. Mm -hmm. uh, I wrote a note we already talked about how heartbreaking it is when David breaks down asking her not to tell anybody, and she goes yeah. from angry at him to absolutely loving in mm -hmm. a blink, and it's a beautiful yeah. moment. And I wrote, adolescence is hard enough. <laughs> Without that complication, I can't even imagine. I love the bathroom scene with her and her mom where they go from talking about when should I have sex to asking about dad's depression all mm -hmm. in a moment because I feel like that is what can happen when you let your guard down, even for the briefest moment. I feel like um, Lori Metcalf plays that look so perfectly when she says, when do you think would be a good time to have sex? She's like, are you having sex? And she turns around. Mm -hmm. uh, but that is, the guard is down now on both of them. So Lady Bird feels free a moment later to ask about her dad. Um, and I also love the line, this is such a Catholic line, uh, after they had sex, and she says, you said you were a virgin. He says, no, I didn't. And I haven't lied in two years. Uh, <laughs> because Catholics keep track of this kind of thing uh, due to confession and whatnot. But that's also just a very adolescent thing to say. I haven't done mm -hmm. that in two years. Um, yeah, just really, really liked it. Really, really, uh, I, I like this more than... Her Little Women, but I like Her Little Women a lot, and it features Chalamet and Shisha. Um, and I haven't seen Barbie yet, 
Um, but this is it's a good. heck of a debut, uh, solo directing debut. Um, and I think she hit it out of the park probably because it was so personal. Uh, I have one more general thought that I want to give, and then I'm going to run down some of my favorite uh, moments um, that I just love in the writing here. Um, but the the other general thought is the movie, in addition to, as I like to say, having empathy for its characters, is also, I think, realistic about how annoying adolescence can be. Like the Ladybird character is kind of annoying for most of this movie. Like, you know, she's she doesn't pull any punches with the idea of that arrogance of youth, that thinking you know everything. Like there's there's a confidence with which Ladybird operates that we as an audience know is uh, a little bit of false confidence. Mm-hmm. Um and I really appreciated the the movie's ability to do that because when you get to a lot of these coming of age movies, the coming of age participants are usually the heroes, the protagonists and and they're often have those parts of themselves uh sanded off, you know, just kind of that um you know, that an, an annoying little bit of um I'm trying to think of the the word, but um you know, just just being like you're all put together and, you know, you know everything. Uh, one of the choices I uh, heard that Saoirse Rona made, which I really appreciated, was she also didn't want to wear makeup to cover a recent blemish outbreak uh, mm-hmm. during the scenes because she she wanted the blemishes of this character to be um, out front and to be in that. That's what that it very, is to be a teenager. Yeah, that's what it is to be a teen. Even though she was, what, 22, I think, when she filmed this. Um, so... So yeah, um, good stuff there. Okay, here are some of my favorite moments. I love the scene where they're eating the communion wafers and talking about orgasms, and then somebody and then somebody comes in and is like, "You can't eat the communion wafers." And Julie's like, "They're not consecrated." Yeah, <laughs> like, like as if that makes it all better. This reminds me of when I was a kid. My mom came into the room and I was standing on the Bible, and I had my hands up on the sides of the door. Uh, doorway and I was just kind of sliding on the carpet and she said don't stand on the Bible and I said it's not the word of God until you put it in action (laughs) (laughs) and my mom did not appreciate that response that's amazing (laughs) why would anybody eat communion wafers casually like those that taste like styrofoam like did they salt them at least yeah yeah that's yeah it's like some sort of weird melty uh, styrofoam that you put in your mouth um, when she's asked if that's her given name and she's like, yes, I gave it to myself. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Uh, when they're, when she, when her mom is telling her why they don't do magazines and she's like, I just wanted to read it in bed. And she's like, that's something rich people do. Yeah. We're not rich people. As if the height of wealth is buying a magazine to read in bed. Uh, just amazing, amazing insight there. Um, when the drama teacher plays the we're going to play first one to cry wins and he immediately wins and it's just one of those things where this movie does this beautiful thing where it's like kind of hilarious and kind of funny and then later really deep and powerful and punches you in the gut with it and when when the the scene first happens it plays as funny because right he's a drama teacher you can expect Mm -hmm. that he might have that ability to tap in to tears yeah yeah 
Uh, when Danny is like, if you had boobs, or, or when she tells Danny, if you had boobs, I wouldn't touch them either. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, I respect you so much. Again, uh, a scene that plays funny and then later has an mm -hmm. underlying meaning. Yes. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's see. Uh, there's, there are a couple other things I wanted to mention. There's some really smart editing uh, with how this movie moves through the year. Like there, we get pinpoints of knowledge of where they are in the school year just by a quick Christmas scene here or a quick like there's one part where they edit down the countdown to the new year yeah. over her rushing her letters to the post office, yeah. which I found that's like a really clever thing to do because you're giving this interesting added layer of like tension to her getting those, you know, wanting to get those letters in as quick as possible because people are counting down, but they're counting down the new year. Um, I thought that was interesting. Uh, and then when her dad is like, uh, you aren't going to get in the car with a guy who honks, are you? <laughs> yeah, like, I yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I am. Yeah, I think I am. I think I am. That's a very nice dad line. Yeah, I, definitely. I do want to take the original drama director to task for not casting Lady Bird in a better role because she freaking killed that audition. <laughs> and I was, I even turned to my wife and I said, she was great. I was expecting her to be terrible. And then Beanie Feldstein gets up there and she's got a, a nice tone, but she's clearly nervous and meek and she gets the lead role. And I know that's partially to create some tension, but mm -hmm. I thought Lady Bird was great. She should have been cast in a higher role. Yeah. 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 And I should have been cast in Sound of Music, but you know, if ifs and nuts, right? So. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Candy nuts. Uh, that's all I got. I mean, other than everybody's so good in this, I mean, like Tracy Letts, we mentioned amazing. This Lori Metcalf steals the movie. Like she's in incredible in this thing. Uh, but what Sersha is asked to do here is really impressive, especially consider she, considering she's doing an American accent and yep. that is not her accent. Yep. Um, uh, Beanie's amazing. Lucas Hedges is so good in this. Like everybody's doing really good work here. So just yep. uh, all acting around is really good. Uh, I even noticed the Mr. Bruno character who Julie's crushing on um, is the guy from who uh, is in Limitless and Mrs. Davis. Uh, so oh, wow. he's kind of become a, a, a fun. He's really fun. He's a fun uh, actor to watch. So, yeah. Well, there you go. That's Lady Bird. <laughs> Chat just reminding me that Julie was actually slightly sharp and not pitch, <laughs> which is fair. You're, you're a music guy. Jeremy, you uh, should know that. There was a sweetness about her performance. Are we ready to move on to the super secret double feature? Do it. Be very, very quiet. Secret. What secret? A dirty little secret. I tell you something I've never told anyone. This is the first time in a long time that I've had too many options at my disposal. Mm. Um, I feel like Edge of Seventeen is the most obvious um, aligning up option to use. It's not what I chose. Um, because you know I don't like to choose the most obvious ones. Uh, there's a lot of book smart and easy A comparisons you could make uh, because we've made a lot of coming-of-age movies because we all have to come of age at some point, and it generally sucks. Um, but what I ended up going with uh, is more of a thematic double feature than a tonal double feature, uh, whereas Lady Bird focuses mostly on a mother-daughter relationship I wanted to go with October Sky uh, and focus on a father-son relationship um, that is uh, not great, uh, but ends uh, with a little bit of hope uh, when he shows up for the rocket demonstration at the end. Uh, if you don't know October Sky, it's a very, very charming uh, coming-of-age movie about uh, some kids uh, in the 
60s, 50s, that fire a rocket that is blamed for a fire, and then they have to use math to try and prove that it wasn't their rocket. Uh, these are real people uh, who went on to work at NASA, uh, and it's Jake Gyllenhaal and Chris Cooper, and it's just fantastic. Um, so my double feature is October Sky. Complete agreement. Love that movie. Yeah. Uh, great, yeah. great choice. Great and choice. not enough people have seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Now we're ready to talk about next week's homework. Uh, I promised. And so I'm going to deliver. Next week's homework is State and Maine. Um, this is a miracle of a comedy about the film industry. Came out in 2000. The cast is stacked. And unfortunately, it looks like you will probably have to rent this movie if you don't already own it. Uh, we try not to do that too often, but um, this one will be worth it, I guarantee. Uh, and uh, we have given it love on a previous show we used to do, and it's time to give it the spotlight on Recotopia. Uh, so next week, State and Maine. I think we have a couple minutes for some questions. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. I have so many notes. I have to scroll ways to find the questions. Please bear with me. Uh, what's a great actor with a bad agent? A great actor with a bad agent. Uh, I assume this question is talking about somebody who should get more work. Like they clearly have a bad a agent if they're this good and they're they're not getting as much work as as they should. Um, my probably hot take answer is Hayden Christensen. I think he's actually a really good actor, um, and you know, I think the Star Wars thing really hurt him. Uh, and I think a, a better agent, maybe so to speak, could have gotten him in some of the right movies to showcase uh, his abilities. Um, so that would be the hot take answer. The other answer is Anna Torv, uh, who you may know from Fringe. I think she's incredible, um, and would love to see her in more stuff. I saw her in something recently that brought her up to my mind but um anna torv is, is interesting great. So, yeah. interesting uh no one will be surprised that my answer is jaimon honsu uh not because he doesn't get enough work but because he doesn't get enough work in good films or he doesn't get enough big parts uh i do truly believe he's one of our best actors uh and he just routinely gets shoved into generic villain roles um, over and over and over again, and it just it disappoints me. From Guardians to that Tarzan movie, it just keeps happening. Even the Shazam movies, like you got Jaimon Hansu, man, do something. Don't wasn't it? Him. Wasn't it? He wasn't he in uh, Quiet Place Part Two in like a just a completely wasted role, wasn't it? Oh, Hansu? maybe I haven't seen. Anyways. it. I only saw that one once. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure you're right. Because it's a live show and dead air sucks, I'm going to take the time to look it up. <laughs> uh, yeah, Quiet Place Part 2. Man on Island is his character's yes. name. So yeah, There exactly. you go. Perfect encapsulation of what we're talking about. Um, yeah. All right, let's do one more, and then uh, we'll break for lunch, everybody. If you could live in any house from movies or television, what would you pick and why? Let's ignore whether you could afford it. Thank you for that little addendum at the end. It opens up a lot of possibilities. So I immediately thought, what's a house that when I saw it, I was like, I want to live there. And uh, the answer to that goes back to nostalgia in my childhood. And my answer is Escape to Witch Mountain. Uh, the house, the mansion that they go to that had like the, the built-in, I could never fathom a built-in soda machine and like uh, ice cream everywhere and all these toys and... 
And it was just amazing. So I did some research on that house. It is the Crocker Mansion. It's on Pebble Beach. Uh, and it looks amazing. Hmm. Um, yeah, I would I would definitely, definitely love to live in Crocker Mansion. I think you're going to like my off-book answer because I wrote down, uh, I love Bruce Wayne's condo in the Dark Knight. That mm-hmm. that view is incredible. Uh, but, I, but I'm going to go off-book because I think you'll appreciate this. But in American Pie 2, they rent a beach house in Michigan. It's right on the beach and it's huge. Mm-hmm. It's got a bunch of bedrooms and a big, huge front porch. And that feels like this place it wasn't in michigan it was in massachusetts but this place my great-grandparents used to live that i used to go when i was a kid and that that movie i don't think is good but the instant i saw that house i was like oh comfort familiar comfort so i would love to live in that house yeah good choice i mean listen i never thought i'd want to go back to the weather of michigan but uh on this fourth consecutive day of triple degree (laughs) temperatures and 115 uh, heat index. Uh, summers in Michigan sound pretty good right now. Yeah, uh, seriously. So, yeah. Well, except the problem is that Michigan will be 30 below this winter, and it's just going to uh-huh. keep getting yep, yep, extremer yep. and extremer. Uh, some right. of the chat answers. Uh, the finished house in Money Pit. I like that. Uh, the castle the kid buys in blank check. Tony Stark's house in Malibu. I expected to see that one. The bunker in 10 Cloverfield Lane. Okay. <laughs> um... Codename Kids Next Door Sector V Treehouse. Okay, that's awesome. And I got some agreement on my beach house. Excellent. Amityville house, you crazy loon. You go live there. Gonna drive you crazy. You'll kill your family. Um, All right, this has been episode 80 of Recotopia. Next week's homework is State and Maine. And for Aaron Dicer, this is Jeremy Scott. Thank you to the chat. Thank you, listeners. We'll see you next time. Bye, guys. part of the live show by being a member of the sin club at patreon at patreon.com slash cinema sins chat with us on the cinema sins discord at discord.gg slash cinema sins or cinema sins twitter at cinema sins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at cinema sins.com that's r-e-c-o-t-o-p-i-a at cinema sins.com I can't find the budget for State and Maine. Hmm. I have looked this. I'm on my sixth or seventh website. Usually Wikipedia has it. Um, I think that's curious. And the only reason I went looking is that I saw um, that it had made uh, $9 million worldwide. And I was like, boy, I bet that lost money. And now I can't find the budget to find out how much. But that's way too big a cast for $9 million to have you in the black after that. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that I'm seems weird. Because this will end up in the outtakes where we will have already announced that that's the next homework. <laughs> yes, let's make sure we get it all right. There would be a, a, a heaping, help, uh, heaping helping of irony if this movie uh, did funny math to try to pay people less. It sure would. <laughs> Ah, just throw another subscription on the pile. Who cares? Let's let's subscribe to IMDb as well. I think Chris is a, a IMDb pro. I'm not going to bother him on his sabbatical for that. Something stuck in my brain that I want to know that seems like it should be simple or basic or readily available, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it will drive me nuts. Um, and this could be one of those things. Well, and you're there, you know, I, I still, to this day, 
if there's something I know that I know, but I can't recall it, which is a weird statement to say. I understand what you mean, though. Tip of, tip of the tongue kind of thing. I will not Google it. To this day, I feel like I am doing my brain a disservice. Oh, wow. If I just find that information instead of actually making my brain pull it out of the re- recesses of wherever it is. So like what's I, the furthest dating back thing that you have refused to Google? Well, it's usually like a, it's you, um, to be completely honest, usually an actor's name. That's what we're talking about here. Usually okay. I will see somebody and I'll be like, I know that person's name. And as I get older, those people become more and more obvious, uh, uh, like people I, I should know. I forgot Forrest Whitaker's name the other day. Mm-hmm. We were watching um, Good Morning Vietnam, Forrest Whitaker's in Good Morning Vietnam. And my wife says, I know I know that actor. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's uh, yep. that's and I was so mad at myself that I couldn't remember Forrest Whitaker of all people. Hmm. And uh, and so I was like, I'm not Googling that. I'm just not doing it. New podcast idea. Okay. How much does the memorization of Bible verses as a child of a pastor impact <laughs> one's This is the whole podcast? I could not remember the name of the actor who played the commissioner in the Tim Burton Batman movies. Okay. And I, at that moment, I'm what you're describing yourself as. I'm mad I can't think of it, and I'm not going to let it go. I don't want anyone else guessing to try and help me. Right. I walk off. Four or five friends are standing there talking for three hours, <laughs> and I'm pacing around this parking lot. I'm not exaggerating. And I come back, and I finally have it, and it's Pat Hingle. Nicely done. So, on one hand, I have never forgotten Pat Hingle's name since. <laughs> and I... I believe that is directly because I did what you like to do and forced mm-hmm. myself to remember. Right. On the other hand, I lost three hours of peak college age hangout <laughs> chat time with my best buds. Yeah. I think that's I think that is a, a fair trade. I think that is <laughs> <laughs> I hope your friends listen to this show. <laughs> I want to know. It's not that I want to solve it without Google. I want to know now. Without Google, if possible. But now, mm-hmm. this, this this current Jeremy, I'll Google anything. <laughs> yeah, like... I've always been jealous of those people, uh, people with really good singing voices, um, and people who like to exercise. <laughs> <laughs>